0: back to the 19th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. Would you enter a sport if on the first day you were told that serious injury was inevitable? That's a daunting disclaimer, but for today's guest, Jimmy Krupka, it's all part of the adventure. When Krupka was a baby growing up in New England, he learned to ski and walk at the same time.
1: My family was were big skiers and, you know, not ski racers particularly, but skiers. So I was walking around the house on plastic skis at age one and skiing at age two, but they definitely weren't the kind of parents that would push me to do something if I didn't like it. And skiing was one of the things that I just loved and I was always dressed and ready to go, you know, to go out the door uh, every morning to go skiing. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of something that I continued to push. And then when it came to ski racing, that was totally my thing and and I loved that about it. it was. They knew just as much about ski racing as I did, which was basically nothing, and I kind of drove that train.
0: Ski racing, an Olympic sport popularized west of the Alps by the success of Americans Bodie Miller, Lindsay Vaughn, Ted Ligeti, and Michaela Schifrin, is the closest extreme sport you can find that isn't colloquially described as, quote, an extreme sport. There is nothing leisurely about spending a day flying down the slopes at top speeds of 45 miles an hour, weaving dangerously around slalom poles, and barreling toward the bottom of the hill. But for some like Krupka, it's where he found he felt most alive. In order to help Krupka pursue his passion for ski racing, his parents relocated them from Massachusetts to the Green Mountains of Vermont.
1: We lived in Massachusetts and then when I wanted to ski race full time when the coaches were basically like if you want to be world class you have to ski ski every day. So the whole family moved to Vermont um, which was which was cool and it and it it made me feel really good that my family was so supportive that they were willing to uproot, um, and move, you know, granted my sister really wanted to ski race too. And my, both my brothers, uh, did. And nowadays, um, it's just me and my, and my ninth grade brother who still ski race. Uh, and, and it feels great to have the family so supportive it, you know, and there's, I know that there's, you know, I don't know too many families that, that aren't supportive, but, you know, I definitely feel really grateful that my family is.
0: When his parents afforded him the ability to not only take weekend trips to the mountain, but to instead spend every waking moment on the slopes, Kripke realized that his passion for ski racing was just beginning.
1: At the end of my uh, senior year of high school, out of the blue, uh, you know, I hadn't had great res- results, but I'd had just enough to kind of put me on the map at the end of the, my senior year of high school, the U S ski team invited me to this basically tryout camp to qualify for the development team, what we call the D team. And, you know, I, I had a great camp, like total kind of out of the blue and they put me on the team. And so for two years after high school, I skied with the development team. It wasn't on a, you know, professional stage. We were still, you know, young kids. In the, on the development team, but uh, it felt pretty cool, it, you know, and it was my ultimate goal since I was five years old. So uh, when I got that call to say that I'd made it, I, you know, I definitely re- went running around the house screaming and my, you know, everyone in the family was pretty t- excited.
0: This was his introduction to the dangers of the sport. Quick turns, unsteady terrain and high speeds combined to sideline some of his friends and teammates with serious knee, leg, back and neck injuries. That didn't stop Krupka, though.
1: It's it's uh, Sometimes it's scarier than others. Sometimes, uh, you know, you think about it and you see one of your teammates go down and, and it, it becomes a little more real. But at the end of the day, like any, ex- you know, quote unquote, extreme sport athlete has to do, uh, you have to just compartmentalize and you have to kind of accept. The biggest thing is accepting that it probably will happen at some point. And once you can get over that hurdle, then you can kind of take that little box in your mind and put it aside and say, okay, like may happen at some point, Um, I've come to terms with that. Now, the only thing to do is to uh, send it with no regrets and and just go for it. (laughs) Yeah, I think people will consider that reckless. I think there's, you know, when we talked in our pre-interview, You really got my brain going because I was thinking about how, uh, you know, people that don't do these sports don't really understand that, like why someone would take so much risk. Like they can, they consider it reckless because when you look at it logically, it is reckless. Like you are getting like a nice dose of adrenaline and, uh, you know, endorphins and they're at the risk of potentially, like I did, snapping your leg, your knee, or whatever. So logically, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, my kind of rebuttal to that is that it's, it's not something I do for fun. You know, if if I wanted to have some fun, I, you know, there's plenty of ways to have fun. If I wanted to make money, there's plenty of ways to make money. It's, it's kind of, you know, I've been doing it since I'm two, it's kind of my life. It's kind of the way I express myself. And it's kind of, a higher purpose that I'm pushing towards.
0: The U.S. ski and snowboard team has four alpine ski teams. The A, B, and C teams are all Olympians and Olympic hopefuls. Rising through the ranks is dependent on performance in events, rankings, and points lists. As a member of the development team, a 17-year-old Krupka was suddenly moving to even steeper peaks and foregoing college for two years.
1: That summer, I moved out to Park City, Utah and started training in the U.S. ski team gym. And, you know, right in the squat rack next to me was Ted who like, you know, the best GS skier of all time. Someone who I just, I'd watched tape on him over and over and over again. So that was pretty surreal. And then the, the, the part that you mentioned about, uh, you know, not being there yet, but, you know, hoping to be, that's what I realized is my whole life, since I was five, I I'd said, I'm going to make the U.S. ski team. And then when I made the U.S. ski team, I was like, wait, there's so much more to do. Like, I'm not even close to where, like, and then I realized, okay, once I make the B team, once I make the A team, once I make the World Cup, uh, then like that can't be the ultimate goal because then I'm going to want to win. And so I I kind of, that was a big moment for me of, you know, it, it doesn't end until you retire.
0: During his time on the D team, Krupka was mentored by the best ski racing coaches in the country, two of whom he remembers fondly.
1: I had two coaches on the development team that were really great guys. I had one guy that would tell me everything I was doing wrong and one guy that was constantly being positive. So it was this this nice little balance. And, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a mom-dad situation. Like when one of them was kind of mad at me, i go to the other like, hey, can you help me out? Um, so it was, a, it was a good atmosphere for two years.
0: The D team included he and a variety of eight other teenagers from across the country.
1: We had one kid from the Pacific Northwest. We had a few kids like me from Vermont and New Hampshire and a few kids, one kid from Utah, a few kids from Colorado, so all over the place. And that was kind of our fun point of contention was, you know, east first west. The Eastern mountains are way smaller and, and it rains all the time and they're kind of miserable and the Western mountains are beautiful and sunny. So we had our, you know, our inside jokes and kind of you know crap we'd throw at each other.
0: So which do you prefer?
1: Oh, I mean, skiing in the West is, is a beautiful thing. It's always sunny and it's warm and the snow is nice, but um, I, I, can't, I can't leave my, I gotta stay loyal to the Eastern mountains. That's where I learned a little bit of grit.
0: When at 19 he was cut from the D team, Krupka was forced to figure out what role he wanted ski racing to play in the rest of his life. Luckily though, he didn't have to wait long for that answer. Dartmouth College accepted him and he walked on to the ski team.
1: So, yeah, you know, I got cut from the development team, went to college uh, at, at Dartmouth and kind of going to school and skiing at the same time was this magic brew that suddenly I was skiing really, really well. And halfway through the college season, I basically got up and left and went to the World Junior Championships and, you know, uh, did well there. And the, and the American boys were the the best men's junior team in the world that year, which is still to date, one of my favorite memories, ski racing, you know, being cut gives you so many gifts, one, simply in the motivation of trying to get back. Uh, but, but two, putting you in just a, a different circumstance. And for me, putting me in college gave me the ability to Kind of step back from ski racing and and say okay i've got four years to get better at ski racing let's not think about the us ski team let's not think about anything besides just doing school work and getting better at ski racing and i the thing that i found out about myself was that having something to keep me busy like school was was great and having that sort of mentality of just getting better and putting my head down was also good for me
0: While at Dartmouth, Krupka had his first experience with sports psychology. He learned to quickly implement a short two-point focus checklist, which still remains in his repertoire to this day.
1: It's funny because that year at Dartmouth, I, I I had spent a lot of time working with sports psych in the years prior. And that year I said, screw it, I don't want to think about, I'm sick of thinking about sports psychology. I'm not thinking about it at all. And... I remember there was just no thought of it in my brain and I just kind of skied and I had this like these two things that I thought about. I was like, okay, outside ski, hips over the feet. I just had these two things I would say in my head to keep like cues to keep me skiing the way I wanted to. And that's literally all I did. And I was one of my best years of racing.
0: Krupka's interaction with sports psychology principles extends past mental cues, though. Ski racers are trained to be so precise that practices like visualization become the difference between first and second place in races.
1: Uh, and, and most ski racers do this is, is visualization where you know, y- you're know you allowed to go um, slowly go down the course and just look at where the gates are before you do your competition run but you know you get one competition you get two competition runs but it's like you have to perform the first time you get on the course and so a lot of what I'll do is have the image of the course in my mind and then uh, run the course in my mind, you know, over and over and over again until I know it by heart. Um, and that's kind of a ritual that I, I, I totally forgot about. But yeah, there's that's another one.
0: As he trained with Dartmouth and continued his competitive skiing, he was also working with a mentor from his days on the D team. That maintained connection became what Krupka relied on to improve his skill and get him noticed again by U.S. Ski and Snowboard.
1: And you know, when I say I got cut from the from the development team, I officially got cut. But the there was um, this one coach of the U.S. Ski team who who uh, was running the new development program. Who said, "Yeah, I'll help you out. You can train with me for a little bit." And he was a huge, huge um, help not only giving me some some training opportunities, but also just uh, his experience. He had spent a lot of time with World Cup athletes, and he gave me a ton of pearls of wisdom that I still use today.
0: During his time as a mentee, Krupke realized that part of what was holding him back was his expectation of success. His mentor sat him down one day and blew his mind.
1: I was having a tough, tough training day. And he took me aside. And he said, you know, you have the same problem that this, you know, successful Olympic athlete had. And it's that you have too many expectations. My goal for you is to anytime you have an expectation, pop into your head, bang your head against a wall. And he said, I'm not telling you to do that because there would be liability issues with that. But I kind of am telling you to do that. Basically, like, I want you to get the idea that expectations don't help you in any way. And that was the lesson was like, Yeah, it's, you can have goals and you can say, you know, my goal is to go to the Olympics, my goal is to win a gold medal. But if that is your expectation, then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to, you're going to tear yourself apart because when you have an expectation, it means that if you fail, then it's, it's utter, you know, there's no option for failure, whereas just simply working hard and having a goal. You, you, you give yourself the option for failure. And so living life, not just ski racing, but life with no expectations, it means that, you know, you're kind of always pleasantly surprised, which I love, as opposed to expecting huge things and then them not happening and you being disappointed.
0: When Krupka followed his success at the World Junior Championships with his first Noram Super G win in 2020, it effectively paved the way for his return to U.S. Ski and Snowboard.
1: it's there's kind of this this cutoff like if if you don't make the U.S. ski team after you finish college then most people just retire because it's too expensive to try to do it on your own and keep trying to make the U.S. team Uh, so there's that cutoff right there at um, there's the cutoff before college at 18 is a cutoff after college at 22 and then a successful career someone will go to 35 Ted Ligeti I think went close to 35 or maybe a little past it And at that point, your body is kind of breaking down. No one gets to 40.
0: When he left Dartmouth to join the U.S. ski and snowboard Alpine C and eventually B team, proving his worth in the system became the priority. He finished fifth in the giant slalom at U.S. Nationals in the beginning of 2021, and had been on a great run. Until Italy. He was in the Super G competition in Santa Catarina, Italy, when a freak leg twist turned into the horror stories he had seen his teammates and friends in dark. Before he could comprehend, Krupko was laying on the side of an Italian slope with a tib-fib fracture. He couldn't speak the language. His parents were asleep on the other side of the world, and the next few hours went by in a blur. He was suddenly being airlifted off the mountain and flown to a nearby Italian hospital.
1: Well, so first, I, yeah, they put me in the, in the helicopter and started bringing me over to an Italian little, like, local mountain hospital, and... I'm all alone because my coach wasn't able to come in the helicopter. And uh, you know, the the people in the helicopter are really nice. They try to offer me morphine, but I know that there's no, if I can't understand Italian sober, there's no way I'm understanding Italian with morphine. So I say no morphine, I gotta keep my wits about me. They put me in the hospital, they give me an X-ray. The doctor comes in and starts going, Mamma mia, spaghetti, whatever, you know, Italian. And I say, I, I don't speak Italian, I just speak English. And he says, eh, it's broken. And I said, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's broken. My leg's wiggling all, all over the place. He leaves. The nurse comes in and says, okay, we're going to get you an X ray. And I said, I already had an X ray. They said, okay, you're going to see the doctor. I said, Are, I already saw the doctor. And she says, eh, okay. And she takes my bed and just pushes me out into the hallway and puts me in a corner. And that's where I stay, uh, for the next three hours. Finally, my coach shows up cause he had to drive and somehow figures out getting me into an ambulance and to Austria, which is where they speak English and where they have better doctors. And, uh, I get in the ambulance and I go, okay, give me the drugs. Now I can relax. And they say, "Oh no, we ambulances, we can't give you drugs." Oh man, so that it was a long five-hour drive over the mountains of just my leg. You know, close your ears, you don't want to hear this, but my leg was just moving back and forth. And uh, they were great in, in Austria, though. I got, I, I pulled into the hospital, and it was the middle of the night. And they said, "We're putting a rod in your leg," and I said, "Great, put me under," and that was it.
0: Looking back on the accident, though, Kruka doesn't consider the what ifs. He says that as long as he's sending it, whatever happens is going to happen.
1: I stand by that. Um, you got you always have to be sending it. Then there's there's no other option. And uh, ski racers know this. And I, I think a- any any person in the world can can relate to that feeling of regret where you had an opportunity to you know go all out or uh, try your hardest or whatever it is, quote unquote, sending it. And you didn't, and it's an awful, awful feeling. And so me and a lot of other ski racers will always say it's better to crash sending it than it is to finish and go, I could have given more. Yeah. I mean, the the caveat to the whole sending it thing is you can't recklessly send it, you know, even ski racers have, have an understanding of what reckless means and I don't know if I was being reckless, but definitely in order to 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 make sure that you don't keep getting hurt, you have to have a really good understanding of where the limit is.
0: Luckily for Krupka, the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Organization incorporates a quote injury deadline in the event of a season ending injury early enough in the year. Competitors are still maintained by U.S. Ski and Snowboard and helped through rehabilitation scenarios.
1: This was a, a weird year. The U.S. ski team. Uh, has a deadline, you know, February 1st, if you get injured before then you automatically re-qualify for the next year as a, you know, a quote unquote injury discretion. And if not, then you must have scored the right points or, or qualified objectively through the criteria process. And so I was, I was just ahead of the deadline and my teammate, uh, blew out his back you know, two weeks behind the deadline. And he he's a better skier than me. And he got caught and I'm still going. And it's kind of this arbitrary thing that exists.
0: The deadline exists to help athletes like Krupka, who are suddenly out of competition for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah, it, it was nice when I got hurt. I knew about that deadline. And so it was nice to know that I was going to have support the next year. And that was a huge. I think I would have been a lot more distraught if I had realized I'd gotten hurt. And suddenly the road had gotten way harder in terms of the resources available to me. Um, so having the US ski team commit to that deadline is really nice.
0: Krupka was tasked with finding resources to assist his rehab with the knowledge that when he was fully ready to return, US ski and snowboard would be happy to have him.
1: Yeah, a, l- a lot of stuff is up to you. You know, because the, there's so m- there's, you know, 20 athletes on the men's team throughout the levels of the team and so they they can't keep track of everyone and just as you know with the team and as in life you kind of got to figure out things for yourself and be your own best advocate so i figured out getting physical therapy and and uh you know at, at first getting my own trainer and then writing my own workouts um but the the team was basically like when it's time to be back on snow we will support you in any and every way. So basically, when you're ready to go, we'll head over to, you know, Mount Hood in Oregon in July and get get going.
0: Being sidelined allowed Krupka to assess his career trajectory and determined that this injury was not going to stop him from, quote, sending it. In a sport where injury is so inevitable that it's written in the guidebook, one tip-fib fracture is not just a bump in the road, but only the first one of potentially many.
1: Uh, It's kind of all, all over the place. You know, the, the ones earlier in your career are are less likely to be like knee, you know, some people's knees just kind of start to give out because they've had too many knee injuries um, by the time they're in their thirties or their back, you know, just start their discs are all deteriorated. Um, So I think like other sports, it's overuse by the end and just trauma in the beginning.
0: Krupka shifted his mindset immediately to view his injury not as a threat to his career, but as a temporary setback.
1: It, it goes back to my em, em, embracing of failure, or at least my attempt to embrace failure. Uh, and when, when you fail a bunch, you start to realize like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, you know, when I, when I broke my leg, like the first thought was this sucks. But then you know, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, the pain's not that bad. You know, like, I'll be back before I know it's not that bad. And then you start to realize, you know, that, you know, if I get to the retirement and I utterly fail, I'm still alive. So I'll figure it out.
0: For those wondering why Krupka and his teammates continue to, quote, send it, despite the inherent proclivity for injury and re-injury.
1: The biggest thing is, you know, communicating to people that don't understand, you know, logically doesn't make sense. We talked about this earlier, logically doesn't make sense why someone would send it and risk so much of their, uh, their body, their mind, their livelihood, uh, on a weird sport that, um, you know, is just, you know, a kind of fun. And, you know, I, I hope that people can understand risk a little bit better and see that, risk isn't just this black and white thing of why should I take that risk? Because there's a chance of failure. It, it, you should kind of look at risk as a necessary part of sport and life. And, you know, the rewards of risk are huge. And the ultimate, you know, cost of failure for me, it's a broken leg. The ultimate cost of failure of say, you know, asking for a raise at work, is just getting shut down. So it's like, and and once you you break your leg, you're like, yeah, it sucks, but I'm still alive and living and it's not that bad. And so the the one thing I hope that I can kind of communicate to anybody who's listening is that risks, it's worth sending it.
0: (laughs) Now that Krupka has experienced the cost of the sport that he loves, he's planning on altering his full send.
1: It's a more refined send my this the send of uh five years ago was a was a little more reckless and a little less understanding of of you know where the limit was and i think now there's a little bit more of an understanding of where the limit is and so um i think i'm sending it more and i'm sending it more consistently uh but uh you know i you also start to you know fear just increases the older you get i i think i consider myself young but you know, when, you, when you've been ski racing for 20 years, like that's 20 years for you to start to realize how dangerous it is. So that's kind of a constant battle when you're sending it is is uh, acknowledging the fear and kind of pushing it away.
0: Regarding his refracture rate, Krupka's hesitant to get back out. But he acknowledges that having any fear in the sport of ski racing actually puts you more at risk for something to go wrong.
1: It's definitely scary. I definitely... We'll be sitting around sometimes and the thought just pops into my head. Like, it, like when I broke my leg, it was, I had, I had, you know, it wasn't really a crash. It was like, I, I hip, I just like went onto my hip. I like slid out. I've done that a million times, but my leg just caught weirdly this time. And so it, I'm definitely kind of scared. I'm like, damn, it's, it, it can happen so fast and so quickly. Like, how can I possibly prevent it again? Um, so that's definitely scary. But I, the only thing you can do is just kind of keep feeding yourself confident, confident, you know, words and, and keep trusting in your body. It's it's so much easier said than done. That's my ultimate framework. You know, whatever happens, happens. It's easier said than done at the end of the day, it comes down to like all of these different, you know, very natural thoughts in your head, like fear and nerves and expectations, like they're always going to be knocking at the door and You know, the successful races are the ones where you're able to uh, not let them affect your, you know, your mental state.
0: Looking forward at his rehab process, Krupka is excited to get back on his skis. And the plan is to tackle that sooner rather than later.
1: I'm not running yet. I don't have I can't jump or run yet. So that's my next step. And then it's kind of funny because I won't be that I probably won't be running by the time I get back on skis because there's not a whole lot of impact on skis and I'll literally just like slide around. Um, I won't, you know, put much force. I won't go that fast. Um, and then I'll, you know, as I heal more and more, I'll be able to go faster and start putting more force into my leg.
0: Once he's back out on the mountain, sending it, Krupka has his sights set on the A-team and a trip or two to the Olympics.
1: That's the ultimate dream is the Olympics. And it's a really nice metric because it means that you're like top four or something uh, in the country, and you're being selected to go represent the country at a you know a very big event. It, I would totally be psyched to go to the Olympics, uh, but I think it, at the end of the day, I realized that the way that I uh, my brain kind of works, if I'm just focused on the Olympics, focused on the Olympics, then you know, I, and and if I and. If I don't go, or you know, if I have other international success but not Olympic success, uh, I want my ultimate satisfaction to come from, you know, knowing I worked the hardest I could and knowing that I, you know, won big races. The Olympics are kind of uh, are kind of a nice metric, but it's not my specific personal ultimate whatever. The goal is to be on the World Cup and and fighting for a win, that's, you know, really, it's just, you know, the goal is to be best in the world. And right now, you know, whether that takes me five years or 10 years, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, Right now, the next step forward is just to get back on snow and keep my head down and keep moving.
0: To follow Jimmy's rehab journey and the rest of the U.S. ski and snowboard team, you can follow at Jimmy underscore who underscore and at U.S. ski team on Instagram. For those interested in learning more about the sport of ski racing, he also launched a podcast, The Arc Podcast, to teach the world about the sport. It'll be linked in the show notes.
1: Um, ultimately, I've decided the goal is just to help the sport of ski racing as much as I can. And a lot of that involves interviewing these World Cup athletes. And hopefully people will listen that will, that will gain something valuable in their lives, either as people or ski racers. Um, and then the other thing I'm trying to do is kind of, you know, I haven't really talked to anybody about this really as a serious we idea yet. Exclusive. But, <laughs> exclusive. The goal is to create some sort of content, some sort of guides for people who are just joining the sport of ski. Because the, the, the thing that I hate about the sport the most is how exclusive it is. it is. It's expensive. But not only that, even if you have the 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 funds to start to get to high levels, then you don't have the knowledge unless you were born into the ski racing world. So my parents were skiers, but that did nothing for me when it came to tuning my edges and waxing my skis and knowing these weird terms like gates and under gates and offset and panels. Like, you know, how are people supposed to know that? So maybe I'll kind of create some guides for people to get into sport and make it more inclusive
0: thanks for listening to the 19th episode of closer mentality i'm your host julia mellett i loved crafting jimmy's story and i hope you love it too to hear more stories like his subscribe to this podcast on apple and spotify and give us a follow at closer mental on instagram and twitter i'm also releasing all of closer mentality's full interviews on youtube soon so tune in next week for that update if you're looking for some fun behind the scenes content Next week's episode welcomes Jack Beer, a national champion with Georgetown Men's Soccer, who nearly missed the entire tournament run when performance anxiety began creeping in. It's going to be a great episode. See you next
1: week.